Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, the lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we run courses and mentorship to help clinicians in private practice apply a BPS approach. We have group mentorship running monthly along with our self-paced online as well as in-person course dates on our website. Check out the details at tkex.org and join our Facebook discussion group for more. So today I'm joined by another Dan, Daniel Laspina. He is a husband, so shout out to the real MVP, Linda, a friend and colleague of mine, EP and business owner, basketball enthusiast and rabbit owner. So for background, Dan was one of my very first placement supervisors back in 2014. And we're going to reflect on our progress from teaching TA activations to every single client with any low back pain in 2014 to now owning our own businesses and still learning in 2023. So Dan, really appreciate you making the time. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast today, Daniel. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to another Daniel who's also another EP. <laughs> That's right. So um, a few, I reckon, out of you know the three listeners, maybe half of one would remember seeing some good EP versus bad EP satire videos about three or four years ago. So if any of the listeners are interested, we could add that as a comment perhaps in our Facebook post of this podcast. But so we did a few satire videos with Liam Reinberger, an EP physio dual qualified practitioner that um, had a few hits. I'm curious, what was your favorite satire video or topic that we went over? I think firstly, um, satire just breaks down the barriers and the walls of people being so serious about healthcare. Like obviously it is a serious business and you want to be helping people in need. But at the end of the day, breaking it down and making it more digestible for other colleagues or other EPs or other allied health professionals, I think is the name of the game. I think sometimes people in the social media front kind of go a bit hard and heavy in the details and all the content and whatnot. So yeah, I found it a very refreshing experience to uh, spend some time with yourself and Liam uh, recording some, might I say, hilarious videos. My favorite one, um, look, Reflecting back, I'd probably say the one where we um, use the analogy of utilizing a hammer for Liam's uh, pain. Uh, I believe you were you were playing the evidence-based practitioner who was very keen on listening and very understanding of Liam's uh, experience um, and wanting to delve deeper into what was going on with him and his training history and um, his discomfort levels and what he could tolerate in his function. And I was playing the practitioner where um, I was completely fixated on his pain, completely uh, not allowing him to talk and express his experience and providing solutions which were completely passive and provided no empowerment of the client to progress their condition and their experience. Uh, I found that quite hilarious. Um, it, obviously, it is satire, but... I think sometimes uh, you might find some practitioners that might go down that route very heavily. So it was quite funny reflecting back on that. I think that was probably probably my favorite video. The times that was a, a a classic, and there's something about exaggerating and exaggeration and using humor as a learning experience. Because um yeah, ironically, I know about the feedback you heard from those videos, but it was a crowd favorite, and a few people were like, oh. Now I can understand a little bit more about what you mean 
about listening and why we listen that ma massive difference in the styles of you know, good clinician versus bad clinician. That was fun. Hopefully there's a few extra ones in, in the future if, if Liam's listening to this episode. I think there's something in that humor and entertainment combined with education. Um, but how about we start with diving into your story, your journey. You've been practicing for a few years, I hear. So what's your story? I went to UNSW, uh, did what was called health and exercise science at the time. Um, so um, the year after I started, it transitioned into exercise physiology, finished that degree in 2010. Um, and then ever since 2010, I've been a practicing exercise physiologist um, in Sydney, New South Wales. Um, I worked in a physiotherapy clinic uh, in a private practice, um, mostly with uh, muscle skeletal type injuries and conditions, um, some, some sort of Medicare work, type 2 diabetics, post-surgery, rehab, things of that nature. Uh, I was there for a solid 12 years. That was uh, yeah, very, a very pleasant working environment. Uh, lots of lovely people to be around. Clients were amazing. But um, during, during the uh, pandemic of uh, 2020 to ongoing, the hours of my work got, got changed from, uh, from full-time to part-time. So I had many more available hours throughout the week to do work uh, and I'm a very work oriented, busy person. I like to be doing things a lot. I'm not the type of person to kind of sit around and not do things. So there was an opportunity that popped up um, on actually one of the Facebook groups. Um, there was an EP that was, uh, had a business in the inner West in Sydney uh, and he was moving interstate and he had some clients that he wanted to pass on to somebody else and I just randomly threw my threw my hat in the ring and said, you know, like, you know, I've got some hours available. Like, why why not? Like, I'll just pick up some extra clients and pick up some extra hours and kind of see how it goes. And that was in in early 2021. And throughout that year, just kind of built up a, a pretty solid client base. And it got to a point where it was like working in the private practice in Burwood was not really a viable option anymore. And I was really enjoying the autonomy of having my own business. You know, you can obviously make decisions accordingly to yourself. You can practice the way that you like to practice, obviously uh, within guidelines and in an evidence-based framework. And yeah, kind of from, from that point in, in early 2022, I said to my work of 12 years that I'm no longer going to be working there and kind of, dive straight in full-time into my own business. And I guess I was I was pretty fortunate. Um, I know a lot of people who start their own business, they might not have a lot of clients or uh, not much of a reputation. Uh, and they have to do like a lot of marketing and have to reach out to a lot of local GPs and specialists and other allied health professionals. So I guess I was in a pretty fortunate position where I had a fairly solid base. And then, yeah, over 2022, kind of once again, built up quite a bit. And it's a, it's a mobile business, so it's uh, going to people's homes or uh, going to a park or like a community center to do group-based exercise with people. And the variety is amazing. Once again, the autonomy and, you know, you're in control of everything, which is 
sometimes scary, uh, but also sometimes very rewarding. Um, so it's a a very I'm a, I'm very pleased and I'm very happy that I made the transition. And I know along the way, um, I'm not sure if you remember, but I had a good old chat with you at a coffee shop across the road from where you work in Barbell Psychology. And I was just questioning you saying, you know, because you have recently ventured out on yourself and I was asking you questions about business and is it viable and all the things around stress and seeing clients and all those things. And it was very reassuring um, to hear your experience and to know that it is possible to come from a very stable employment to going into the the sole trader or the company of your own business. And I think that's a, a really important thing. Like a lot of practitioners out there should be reaching out to other practitioners, even if they're younger or older than you. Everybody's got their own niche or their own understanding of a particular thing. So if you've got any listeners that are into advice, uh, reach out whenever you need assistance. And, you know, it could be just buying a coffee for somebody or, you know, dedicating 20 minutes to having a chat with somebody. Yeah, you can it can really help you along your journey and open up the doors and open up more avenues for yourself. So yeah, I think overall very, very pleased that um I've made the transition and it's uh been growing ever since. That's awesome. The um it's a giant leap. It can definitely be scary. I think um there's lots of individual kind of contextual differences depending on the area that people are working within so that means that there is that uncertainty of the steps to take for business and maybe, maybe we'll expand on on that point for yourself um if you don't mind like going from employee to business owner initial kind of challenges so i'm hearing that it was helpful to bounce ideas off other people and how other people start so i think it'd also be helpful for any listeners hearing from your experiences, what it was like, some of the challenges and the lessons at the very start. Basically, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so, you know, <laughs> step one is to get an ABN. So um, <laughs> I managed to do that successfully. Uh, as long as you can do that, then I guess you can be successful with business. Um, yeah, so yeah, no idea what to do initially. Um, you know, I knew that I, I love working with clients and and being around people. Um, so I, I guess I was really focused on that. And I, I was also very fortunate that um, I've got a, a very intelligent and smart business partner, my wife, Linda. Um, she kind of steered the ship a lot through those early stages of building up the business um, and working out all the, all the things like setting up a bank account, getting workers' comp insurance for the business, transitioning from a sole trader to a company title, things of that nature, because I am quite focused on the actual work itself it was very i was very fortunate to to have somebody along that way to help me i guess if somebody else listening to this podcast was in a situation where they did not have a business partner then definitely leaning on other people that are in business would be very helpful they would be able to guide you along the way because they've obviously been through all of those steps themselves a few notable challenges are trying to find an employee you know as a business grows obviously you're limited to the hours that are within a day and if there's clients that you're not able to see due to time availability then it's a wise decision to bring somebody on board to assist with that 
Um, so that that kind of presented a, a challenge for our business. And we started late last year in 2022, putting an ad on Seek and putting an ad on Indeed, advertising on Facebook, and just reaching out to Facebook community groups, seeking out any potential employees or contractors. And, you know, once again, a huge learning curve. You're, you're trying to now find a person that aligns with your values um, as a clinician and as a business. So it's it's quite challenging to find somebody that fits into that mold. I, I guess an overall reflection would be that probably doesn't, I don't know if it doesn't exist. I don't know if I'm just being very pessimistic at the moment, but uh, yeah, it's hard to find somebody that aligns completely and utterly with the way that you think and the way that you preach. Um, but I guess if there's some points that you can agree on, which are mutually beneficial, then I think that's probably a pretty solid thing. I think that's probably been the most notable kind of challenge within the business itself. And it's something that you may not think about initially because you're so focused on just trying to build up the capacity of yourself. But it is definitely something worth thinking about, you know, maybe early to mid when you start a business. So you're kind of prepared for the future to an extent. And I think another big thing is to is to have a plan in terms of, you know, what are you doing? What are your values? I think that's a big thing, you know, listing listing down if it's a few points of why you're doing what you're doing. That really helps with the day-to-day -day staying focused on, on what you're doing. If you're kind of just doing anything and you're just kind of going from A to B and you're not really focused on why you're doing things, you can kind of get lost in it a little bit and and it's it helps to have a focus so you know that you're working towards an outcome or a goal in the future. Yeah, there's uh, so many different roles you have to play in that transition period. It's, I'd say, necessary to reach out to the community and, and find resources and get connected to people who have, you know, niche areas or knowledge that we don't get taught in university. So that's, yeah, very handy. And I can also share from my own experience that that was essential to the transition period. I'd be curious for perhaps for those that don't have a client base yet, it's something that comes up a lot in mentoring. And we have business mentoring on our side with Luke Postlethwaite, who owns the, the biomechanics clinic. If you were looking for clients, what, what would you do? Or, and what have you found helpful for referrals? I guess if I was not in the position that I was in, I would probably be doing things like reaching out to other, other allied health professionals within the area. It could be going to networking evenings where you're you're meeting like-minded people and kind of just putting yourself out there a little bit. Um, you might have to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit. It's like a mixture of luck and things you can't control along the journey. And, and sometimes you get a random Facebook post that gives you 10 clients or you get a word of mouth referral. And they also have a family of four other people that also need your services. So I think that's an important consideration um, that we can, you know, look at all the avenues possible and know that there is some luck involved and, and um, the opportunities are largely outside of our control in terms of, you know, we can't really control the number of clients we have. With that in mind, um, with looking into your future as well with the, the business, what's your direction as a clinic owner or business owner rather 
Um, I know that it's common to slowly step out of the clinician role, but you do sound like you love that clinician role. So what I'm curious, do you see yourself doing in the next few years or so? Yeah, my, my goal is to transition more into a kind of manager of people. As much as I love being an EP and a clinician, I really, really enjoy the the mentoring and the teaching um, and passing on information side of things. Um, so I would get a lot of fulfillment and a lot of satisfaction from, from leading that role. Um, and I feel like I could definitely have something like that in the not too distant future. So yeah, I don't see myself as a, as a 50 year old. I'm not going to tell you how long I am right now, but in a X amount of years from now, I don't see myself working, you know, 35 to 40 hours a week as purely a clinician. It, it might be, you know, five to eight hours a week of a clinician. And then the remaining hours of the week are leading a team of EPs or other allied health professionals in a clinic setting where there's regular educational sessions, there's regular meetings, there's regular chats. Um, you know, we're all kind of open and honest about the way we practice. Yeah, I think that would that would provide personally myself with a lot of um, a lot of fulfillment. I guess that's kind of the direction of of this business over the, the next few years. Yeah, there's um a wealth of knowledge that you have to pass on as well with all the placement and mentoring that you've done over the years. That's that's cool. Um, if we transition to talking about evidence based practice, and I alluded. At the start of the podcast, we have had both quite the the journey and that transition. And I'm not sure about your existential crisis, but I had quite a bit when coming across emerging evidence that counted a lot of not only what we were taught at university, but what we did with clients and what we prescribed and recommended. So what was your journey like and, and um what what made it hard for you to transition during this time and what what helped during this time great question um i can actually i can actually pinpoint the exact moment that my way of thinking transitioned from a very strict biomedical approach to things where things were the the scapular movement must be moving a certain way and there should not be any winging and you must turn on your transverse abdominis before you lift your leg up and you must do this before you do that otherwise you're failing the client it was a i'm you've had this person on the podcast um in the past professor peter sullivan um he did a talk at an essa conference in adelaide and I was just happened to be in the room at the time because he was talking about lower back pain and that's interest of mine. I'm like, oh, okay, look, I'll have a listen and see what this guy has to say. You know, you know, he's probably going to talk about the TA and, you know, I've heard all this stuff before, but, you know, it'd be good to kind of hear a different perspective on the TA and what might be going on. And then he starts talking about completely the opposite. You know, he's talking about graded exposure, talking about bracing, over bracing. People are becoming so fearful of movement. And obviously his, his uh, way of practicing has evolved over all those years as well. But that exact moment um, kind of sparked, sparked this 
I don't know, this light bulb, I guess, in my head where I was like, hang on a second, I've only been thinking about things in one, one, one way and that's so restrictive. Like, what have I been doing? And I guess from that moment onwards, I started questioning things and started thinking deeply about why are we implementing this particular treatment for somebody and trying to really understand people a lot more and not just treating them as, you know, a shoulder, you know, treating them as a human being and understanding their stories a lot more and yeah kind of shifting away from that pure biomedical approach and moving more towards yeah the the bps approach and and just yeah being being somebody that's more open-minded to different ways of of going and helping somebody and i think i think it's continued to evolve evolve over the years and I'm sure it will continue to evolve, evolve over the next 50 years from now so yeah there's um the I guess seeing a role model go through a different approach I think that provides that inspiration and definitely someone like Pete can provide that uh, expectancy violation that we experience ourselves as clinicians where he, he's like the the way and the demos that he does is so counter to what we've been taught that it's like almost uh, brings about a bit of fear or anxiety when we see you know people with back pain lift and not brace and not have all the cues and someone with some very persisting and very real as always pain is always real but like they've got a flare-up and they're reporting pain and then he, the way he instructs them to just bend and pick things up. It's, it's like, whoa, that's, is that right? Um, is that, uh, there's that, that, that fear that we have. And I think that's, that was like a catalyst for me as well, seeing examples of what it looks like. Because I think looking back now, I, I needed a bit more than just, I don't know, an infographic or, um, something a uh, post online or just reading a few papers theoretically i could get it but i think there's a little bit more that we do need um, i'm curious with with that experience what was it like for um your colleagues at the time and, and what was that transition because you, you had your experience in in adelaide at the essa conference and then what was it like after that point like did you just start trying a few things yourself and how did other people respond i think um a lot of other clinicians within the practice that I was working in also started to question things as well to an extent. Um, probably not to the same level as what I did, um, but there was definitely a shift in their opinions and their thought processes as well. But it can be very confronting. Um, obviously, if you've been practicing uh, one way for an extended period of time, you know, and it everything seems to work well for you. Like, why would you want to change things and why would you want to update? Um, so it can be very confronting when you get presented with uh, alternative solutions or alternative ways of thinking. But I guess the nature of science is that it is evolving and changing constantly. And there's probably, well, not probably, it's definite that there's more that we don't know than what we do know. So I think if if you're kind of, open to thinking that things are going to be different and it's not always going to be the same, well, then you're probably going to be a good practitioner and you can kind of adapt yourself accordingly to any clinic or any sort of, um, yeah, practice or hospital setting that you work in. I'm reflecting back on like how other people 
uh, respond and react based off the same, say, research findings or even just hearing about concepts and hearing discussions. And I'm a bit surprised that for the amount of years that you had been practicing, that you still had that openness to question a bit more, to question a bit deeper. So what what kind of was different about like the strengths that you have and, and what what might be helpful as well for others who are that they, they respond, I guess, differently to that confrontation. What are your thoughts there that, you know, the same people at the same conference may have taken away different things? I think my my strengths as as a person and as a clinician is that uh, I am like a, a good listener. So I feel like when I heard that listening was an important part of this new way of uh, of helping people, uh, I think that really kind of ticked the box of how I can be more successful in helping people. Perhaps people that are different in terms of their personalities, they may listen and hear things, but they it may not take it in as much or it may be so confronting for them and they can't rationalize having to change the way they do things because it takes too much effort or, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it type mentality. You know, once again, as we, as we said before, you know, science is constantly evolving and changing. There's papers that come out daily that might question something that you thought about five years ago and it's completely different or you know it might be slightly different so it's just yeah having it having an openness to knowing that things can and will definitely be different in the future i think would help a lot of people transition into a new way of thinking or kind of come across new ideas of helping people yeah was was that taught in your experience that sounds like a expectation almost that things will evolve and change and I don't think in my kind of education background that was quite explicit maybe it was and I wasn't listening and they didn't give me the right buzzwords like they didn't say the importance of listening in that lecture and I was dozing off but yeah how did where did your kind of uh, that the science kind of expectation come from it definitely did not come from my education background I can confirm that as well uh, I think it just came from being a practitioner for, for many years um, and just seeing things and ideas be different from what they were before. Yeah, there, I, I don't recall a time where I was in a lecture or a tutorial where somebody would say, oh, you know, be open to science changing. You know, I, I don't remember that ever happening. Perhaps it did. Maybe I missed that lecture or that tutorial. But um, yeah, I think it just came from from years of experience just being being in the field um, and yeah, just seeing things be different than what they were in the past. Yeah, so you had the uh, examples around you of things changing. It's it's funny, like, I know what, what you've heard, but I you, you can kind of flip that narrative and because you see things changing so often, you just wait for the next change and you don't actually update your own practice in the present. That's another thing that comes up. But yeah, there's so many factors. It's, it's really fascinating. And I don't have any answers, all the answers myself. And it's it's really fascinating that there's little bits that help people go over that confrontation that um, 
you know, it, it can be quite difficult to come across evidence that goes against what you were doing previously. You can take that to heart because most healthcare professionals are here to care and they care how they practice. So yeah, really interesting to see all the, the contextual and experiential factors for you in your journey. Um, and with that journey, there's 10 plus years of PD and external courses. What What's your journey been like and what courses did you take that perhaps weren't as aligned with evidence-based practice? So I guess earlier on in uh, my experience, I definitely was more inclined to do a course which gave very strict guidelines in terms of how to treat a person who has said condition in a very specific way. Because that was very appealing at the time, because obviously being a young practitioner, you've got no idea what you're doing. And if somebody can come along and say to you, if somebody says this, you do this, and it's going to result in, in a positive outcome, well, then that sounds very appealing. So that was kind of earlier in the fold. I, I would definitely go towards courses of that nature. I guess probably some, some turning points um, would be probably in the more recent years. So things like your, your courses from like your Adam Meekins and your Greg Lehmans, those types of people where they're very evidence-based, they're looking at journals and they're looking at research and they're analysing it in, in such a framework where they're kind of saying like, there's some evidence, but we don't really know exactly what's going on, but this seems to be the best sort of thing. And it also has the outcome of, of helping a person who's presenting this sort of, sort of way, but it also helps them in other ways and helps them lead a more meaningful life. So I guess having that sort of course where you're, you're reassured that, you know, you're, you're helping people um, to the best of your ability. And it's not like you have to follow these strict guidelines or otherwise you're going to not help this person. I think that's a, a very important thing. Um, I do recall doing some, a course, a few courses with yourself, Daniel. There was one course we did where at the time I thought it was actually very, a very good course. And reflecting back on it today, I wouldn't do it again. But I guess I didn't, I wouldn't have known that unless I've done it. So I guess it's hard to, to know at the time that the course is going to be exactly what you want. Um, sometimes you kind of need to go through that, that period where it may not be completely evidence-based or exactly what you want it to be to truly know that that's, you know, not the, the ideas or the mindset that you want to have. There's um, so many courses out there now. I think it's, it's difficult to, to filter. So it's handy to know that the ones that are perhaps more reliable are the ones that unpack articles and consensus and papers and, and communicate it in that humble way. Like, name dropping Meekins and, and Greg Lehman uh, as two examples where it helps to provide that reassurance for, for us that we can, um, we're on the right track. Cause yeah, it, it is difficult. I think, you know, looking at evidence based practice and keeping up to date is bloody hard to first of all, have the time to read the, the skill sets to read research and then to be able to filter it. That, that takes a, a lot of effort. So it's, it's handy to have uh, reliable sources that can disseminate the information and then skill sets as well. So that when we do read research, we kind of know exactly what to look for. Um, for the those who are perhaps starting out and, and interested in diving into courses, we've name dropped a couple, but 
how do you know which courses do have reliable evidence-based sources? And I definitely can reflect on the, the courses that had that appeal. I think you mentioned it, which is really important that it's like, there is that certainty of like, this is a guideline of what you do when you get this particular condition, or if you see this, this is what you do. And there is that clarity. And I think that clarity is so seductive for clinicians. And I see it in many different forms and in many different ways. So it's helpful to, to hear from um, other people's experiences, what, how they go about it. And like the, you know, maybe linking back to the advice you gave is connect with other people who've taken courses and pick their brains and bounce ideas. So then maybe you don't have to go through that entire course and invest your time and weekend and, and money into it. If you know what the sources are or how reliable those sources are. Absolutely. Just on that point about reaching out, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just a generalization, but I feel like a lot of particularly young clinicians maybe feel afraid or scared to reach out. Um, would you say that's a, an experience that you noted as well? Dan? Yeah, I'd definitely make a general statement. I think um, I'd have to filter that through my own I guess, tendencies of just reaching out to everyone at all times. So there's that, um, that's my bias and I'm okay with it. So then I see other people. So I'm sure there's reasons, I think, acknowledging things that I don't know of. If I was to make one generalization is the identity of a new grad or a student. I'm just a student. I'm just a new grad. I don't have the experience. I'm not, you know, worthy enough to reach out for a question. Yeah, how, what would you say in expanding on that point for, for any new grad students even listening? It gives us stuff, like just kind of reach out and ask a question. Like uh, I feel like any practitioner would be more than happy to help and more than happy to give their opinion. As long as you do it in a, in a way where it's, you're not kind of insulting somebody or, you know, you're dehumanizing somebody. You know, if you're just asking a question or you're confused about something, think or you know somebody says a reply comment which sounds a bit funky or sounds a bit different to the way you think there's no harm in kind of reaching out and saying oh that sounds you know a bit different to what I think or you know how did you come to that conclusion or I'm interested to learn more about why you think that way I feel like a lot of people would be more than happy to kind of explain and discuss their thoughts and beliefs around that so yeah I think as long as you're reaching out to people in a in a harmonious way it's all going to be it's all going to be great yeah and obviously if you're attacking people and you're you you know you might have a very strong belief one way and somebody's saying something completely different and you start attacking them personally or you know that's obviously no way to go about reaching out to somebody um it should all it all all should be all in good spirit and all, all in the in a mutual mutually beneficial discussion where you both might learn something along the way as I said to you before you know I I learn from people who are younger than me all the time there's no I mean I don't believe there's any any a bad thing from learning from somebody who's younger than you um so you know it doesn't doesn't really matter if they're older or younger like just reach out to somebody if they have an idea or an opinion and you want to know more about it or if you're confused about something yourself and there's somebody in a position where they're able to provide some opinions and by all means, reach out. Yep, totally agree. The um, 
Karl Popper, one of the philosophy of science kind of topics we talk, talk about in our decoding research courses. There's um, the idea of expertise. There's the idea of good and bad explanations. And it's so much more about the, the knowledge, the claims and the sources than it is the person. I think we get caught up on the person and put them on a pedestal and we feel a bit intimidated. And I think that intimidation is first of all, human and normal. And with that intimidation, we can still still reach out. I think uh, the worst case is you don't get a reply. And I think you touched on it as well, reaching out with curiosity and openness and kindness like you would with anyone else. Um, and I'd probably recommend a, a DM or a private message generally is is a nicer, I guess. There's you know the, the public forum for all to see if, there's, if it's a comment back and forth. Whereas if you can get like through someone one-on-one, -on -one, I think that might be more helpful. Maybe if we could finish up with some advice for new grads. So if you could talk to your new grad self 300 years ago. Thanks for the reminder of age. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what, what would you, what would you say? And for any listeners as well, who are starting out? Yeah, it's, it's something that I've said before, not in this podcast, but in in, in many videos that you and I have done. And it's just to question everything. So you might read, you might be listening to us right now. And I hope that you're questioning everything that we're saying and thinking, oh, why did he say that? Or why does he think that way? Or, you know, how did he do that? I think if you're curious and you're open to change, then that will lead you on a very successful journey of being a good practitioner definitely earlier on in my practitioner journey i was very very rigid and not really open to changing and not very open to thinking differently so i would definitely if i could go back in time and i'd say to you be open uh, question things and don't just hear something and believe it that's the only way to do it yeah reach out to people get outside of your comfort zone a little bit you know things of that nature i think that definitely helps your individual growth as a, as a human, but also as a practitioner as well. You know, I feel like being a good EP, you do need to go through some personal growth perhaps over, over your journey. And that helps you relate to people a lot more and it helps you help more people essentially. Mate, that's awesome. The um, journey and the privilege as well of being a healthcare professional is, is uh, learning skill sets that can apply to other domains of life and I'm so sure that your communication skills and listening prowess that I definitely stole from you first few weeks of placement and I noticed and they were role model to me I think it stuck with me and I know that that can apply to all areas of our lives so there's there's that and it's, it's uh yeah nice to hear that questioning everything including what we're saying right now but mate it's in all honesty it's it's so cool to hear from your years of experience and the, the to hear the human behind the the clinician the practitioner and now the business owner and it's a, a pleasure to have you in, in my network and i'm sure there's some real value from from our discussion today so if anyone's keen to follow you your work your business where can they reach out uh yeah look firstly absolute pleasure to be on the podcast with you daniel uh thank you for inviting me on um it's always such a privilege to 
speak with you uh, and to be recorded at the same time. So thank you very much for that. In terms of following me, Instagram, active.allied.health. I'm not very, I don't post a lot of things. I sometimes comment on some posts and, you know, might have a chat with a, a few other fellow, fellow clinicians on there. Mate, it's been a pleasure and very um, keen to hear the feedback from from the podcast. And yeah, I think that the biggest one for me is reaching out and, and DMing and getting out of our comfort zone, regardless of whether we're students, new grads or experienced clinicians. There's a lot to learn from, from all of us and a lot to collaborate with. So Dan, it's been a pleasure, mate. And until the next one.